Better turn that on. You can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. <laughs> and when you find it, you can go ahead and stand up and we'll, uh, we'll read from there. It'll be Hebrews. <laughs> it must, it's going to be bad because I'm already getting complaints. Um, that's right. Let's get on with it. Um, so Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 36, and we'll, we're going to go into chapter 11. Hebrews eleven thirty six. I'm sorry, Hebrews 10, 36, exactly. Uh, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through through faith, uh, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to speak your word and speak your truth. And I just ask that you would be the one to, uh, to speak through me. Let your Holy Spirit be the one to speak. Let our hearts be open to hear from you. Lord, let the words that, um, that come out of my mouth be yours, and let them land on hearts that are ready to hear from you. Change us, make us who you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So when, um, when Jerry Benjamin was, was preaching a couple weeks or a few weeks ago, whenever it was, two weeks ago, I think, um, I, always, I knew I was going to be preaching or suspected I was going to be preaching, so I was watching him when he opens. And when Jerry opens, it's like he hits the ground running. Um, and, and for the next 45 minutes, he just never stops running. Um, and, and that's not like me. But he reminds me of... Recent, a uh, few years ago, my dad went to a doctor here in town, and it was during cold and flu season, so dad said to the doctor, he's like, now, how is it that you avoid getting sick when all day long you're seeing all these sick people? And so the doctor said, well, it's pretty simple. He said, before I walk in the door in the morning, I take a really deep breath, and then for the rest of the day, I only exhale. That's a bit what it feels like when Jerry Benjamin's preaching, because it feels like all he does is exhale. He just is, it, it's just, it's good stuff, um, but it's a little bit like drinking from a fire hose, which um, the first few times I heard him, I was, I was overwhelmed and like, you know, um, and I'm getting a little better at, at, at drinking from a, from a fire hose, it seems like. Um, 
but I really appreciate him, and I'm nothing like him, but his, his grasp on the word is, is, is amazing. So I, I endeavor to be um, like that in that way. But this week uh, is Thanksgiving week, so it seemed pre- appropriate to talk about thankfulness, but it's going to be a little different than your, than your typical Thanksgiving talk, because typically when we come to Thanksgiving, we sit down around the table and we say, Everybody tell what you're thankful for that the Lord has done for you this year or, you know, something that he, something in our past is what we tend to think of. But I'm going to take a little different look at it this morning. So a few years back, it's probably been 12, 15 years ago, I was meeting with a group of guys on Wednesday mornings, uh, my dad and, and a, several other guys, and somebody said, hey, let's, let's study through this book and um, we'll read through it and, and talk about it on Wednesday mornings when we get together. And so it was a book by Robert Hobson which um, at the time I didn't realize it, but he's somebody who's actually affiliated with, uh, with torchbearers and has actually taught up at his hill, and he's come and preached here. Um, and so I had no idea. But the, in his book, there was a concept that he put forward that I had never really thought about before, and over the years I kind of thought about it some. But then three or four years ago, I was reading through Major Thomas's book, um, The Saving Life of Christ, and the the concept came up again. And, and it's a fairly simple, but I've thought about it a lot since I read through it again in, in Major Thomas's book. And it's, it's simple. It says, the language of trust is thank you. The language of trust is thank you. So what does that mean? What does that look like? What is the language of thank What is the language of trust is thank you? So uh, a couple examples. So if my... If my truck breaks down and I've got to put it in the shop and all of a sudden I need a vehicle and I don't have a vehicle I can use. And um, I was going to pick on somebody who's not here this morning, so I'm going to choose somebody else. I'm going to, I'm going to pick on Porter instead, um, although Porter always gets picked on here. But anyway, I'm going to stick with him. Um, um, so I call up Porter and I say, my truck's in the shop. I'm going to need a vehicle for two or three days. Can I borrow a vehicle? And he says, yeah, I've got an extra car. You can borrow it. No problem. What do I say? Thank you. Right? Do I, do I question? Do I, do I doubt? I know, I know his character. I know who he is. So when he says, sure, you can borrow the car, I say, thank you. And he says, I'll be here all day tomorrow. If you want to come pick it up, great. I'll come pick it up. I'm, I'm certain of it. I'm, I'm not questioning it. I'm not saying, well, I better, I better think about this. Another example is um, Thanksgiving is coming up this week, so you have dinner. Um, a lot of times we have dinner with, with lots of family. We gather the family around, and people come in from here and there. And usually whoever's house you know, is kind of the anchor, wherever we're going to meet, that person typically does the turkey, oftentimes, maybe not always. Um, and, and so there's someone who kind of coordinates it. Someone's kind of in charge. Whether they like to be or not. Sometimes Heather's like, why do I always have to be the one, you know? Um, but she is. Uh, and so there's typically someone, um, and, and I can look around the room and I can imagine who it would be. But, um, so, so, and it's typically a lady. Not usually a, us men get involved in that. Uh, we just eat the, eat the food. But she says, she's talking to other relatives who are going to come in. And so she says, I'm doing the turkey and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. You know, and so she asked one of the other ladies, what would you like to do? Well, I'll do, 
I'll bring, how about I'll bring the mashed potatoes and I'll bring a couple of pumpkin pies or whatever. And so her response is, thank you. Great, that's great. That'll be helpful. That's wonderful. Um, and so that's, that's the idea, is, is, is when it's someone that you trust. Now, if, if it's, you know, the, the youngest woman in the, in the family that just got married and she's kind of scattered, you go, okay, I'm not sure. I'm still going to say thank you, but I'm not sure I really trust that it's going to come through. So sometimes th- those things are different. But what does it look like to really trust God? Um, and I'm going to go through several questions. Tom, Tom mentioned this morning in Sunday school that I tend to ask a lot of questions, and I do. Um, and I think, I think that's kind of what, why I'm here, why, why we're looking at this, is because in my head, um, I, I hear that, you know, the language of trust is thank you, and I think, so what does that look like? So I, I kind of keep going with it. Um, so... Hebrews 10.39 says, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. But what does it mean to have faith? Are we only supposed to have faith in the fact that Jesus died and rose again so that he could take away our sins? Is that all that we trust in? Is that, is that all that our faith is in? What does it look like to trust God day to day? What does that really mean? What do you need to know in order to trust God. What do you need to know about him? It's really the same as in the examples, right? You need to know that he's trustworthy. So when you, when you ask somebody for something or when, you, when they tell you they're going to do something, you, you need to know that they're trustworthy. If they're a flake, you're going to go, I better have a backup plan, right? Um. So I'd really like to believe that we all believe he's trustworthy. I'd like to believe that if I asked for a show of hands and said, you know, everybody raise your hand who doesn't think that God's trustworthy, nobody would raise their hand, certainly not in this room, if for no other reason than peer pressure, because even if you kind of felt it, you still would go, mm, uh, I'm not going to do that here. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of assuming I don't really need to build a case so much for God's trustworthiness, um, if you have questions about that, I'd be glad to talk to you about that, because I'd, I'd love to talk about that. But to me, the bottom line for God's trustworthiness is he proved everything we need to know about his love for us at the cross, right? If he ever wanted to go back on his word, that would have been the time. When Jesus was in the garden, if he said, this is it, I'm done, you know, that would have been it. There would, no other time in history would it have made more sense that he say, no. But he has proven his trustworthiness. He has proven his trustworthiness. But what about us? Just because he's trustworthy doesn't mean we always trust him, right? We say we do. I believe that pretty much most people in here would say that they trust him to take, to take us to heaven. But what about the day-to-day stuff? What about the day-to-day, in-the-trenches, basic stuff? Really, the proof is in the pudding. It's, it's more than words, right? It's more than lip service. So when the rubber meets the road, when the going gets tough, when you're in the trenches, when it feels like the whole world is against you, 
when you feel lonely, when you're angry, when you're scared, when you're confused, when you're tempted, when you lose your job, when the mortgage is due and you don't know where that money's coming from, when someone you love dies, when someone you love is hurting, when you're hurting, when your health is deteriorating, when you feel like your world, is, your world is falling apart, when you really don't know what your next step should be, when you feel threatened, when you're staring death straight in the face. Everybody's been through something like that. Everybody's been through something that, that's similar to those things. Does your faith and trust in him hold up in the hard times of life? And what about the good times? Um, we tend to think we have everything under control when everything's good, right? I think we kind of got it. Um, but we really just get apathetic. We really forget who's holding everything together. We think we're holding it all together, but in, in reality, we're not. God's the one holding it together. Every situation we find ourselves in every day gives opportunity to see what we really believe. Who do we really trust? Who do we really trust? We sing, my hope is in the Lord, right? But oftentimes I think we could substitute things in there. My hope is in my bank account. My hope is in my job, my any number of things, right? So how do we show that we trust him? How do you show that you trust him? What's the evidence? And I really do think that it starts with the language of trust. It starts with thank you. It's pretty simple. And while it doesn't end there, we need to start with understanding what that means. What am I supposed to thank him for? Right? What am I supposed to thank him for? We understand what it means to thank him for things that he's done in the past. We, we have no problem with, with thanking him for those blessings. We don't, we don't have a problem with, yeah, sometimes when we're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and somebody says, all right, everybody say what you're thankful for. You know, we, you know I'm going to say the same thing I said last year or whatever. But, um, but for the most part, we don't really have a problem figuring out, oh, yeah, you know, especially when other people start saying theirs, you go, oh, well, yeah, I've been blessed that way. I've been blessed that way. Um, but what about right now? What does it mean... Um, what does he want us to thank him for uh, in the situations we find ourselves in today? I think there are two primary things that I think of to thank him for. I think we thank him for who he is, for his character, and I think we praise him for his promises. Okay, so we're going to talk about those two things a little bit. His, uh, his character and his promises. So his character or his, attribute, his attributes, um, I've just got a short list. Things, his attributes are more than we could begin to number here. But here's just a few of them. So his mercy, his patience, his kindness, the fact that he's long-suffering, he's forgiving, He's all-powerful, if you want the big word for that, that he's uh, um, omniscient. Is that right? 
No, um, omnipotent. Yeah, that one. Should have wrote that down. So I um, he is omniscient, so he knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere present. He's wrathful against his enemies. His will will always be done. He's righteous. He's just. He's loving. He's sovereign. He's holy. He's faithful. He's good. All these things are who God is. They are just part of who he is. They're his character. Um, I actually considered uh, when my turn comes around to, to do Sunday school, I thought about well, maybe we should do a study on the promises of God. But it's like, where do you start and where do you end? You could, you could study that for the rest of you know, my lifetime and, and never get it all covered. Because uh, when you read through his word, you find promises all over the place. They're really all over the place. So I just, again, I wrote down a few of his promises. Um, God will judge sin in due time. He will punish evil. It's part of his justice. It probably won't happen in the time frame that you'd like it to, but he will. He promises that he will provide for all of our needs. He promises that. It's not a conditional thing. It's your needs will be covered. I'm going to take care of you. If we ask anything according to his will, he will do it. It's another one of his promises. He will never leave or forsake us. It's based on his love and his omnipresence. He's for us. He loves us. He owns it all. He's sovereign over everything. He gives gifts to his children He's good. He loves us. He, he cares about us. And he gives good things. He's preparing a place for us. He's faithful. He's got a place for us. He will raise us up to new life. He has good plans for us that we don't understand. We typically misunderstand. And he knows what we need before we ask. So what does all this look like? What does all this look like? Um... I've got a bunch of examples here, and, and we'll go through some of them. Uh, we may or may not go through all of them. I don't know. But w- So what does it look like to trust God in the midst of an election where you may not see a good option? Anybody know what that looks like? And maybe it even appears that the worst of the two options may be who you end up with, whichever you may think that is. What do you do? How do you... What does it look like to thank God in the midst of that, to trust him in the midst of those things? We can thank him that his plans will never fail. Praise him that he knows what's going on and thank him that he sees the end. We can't see the end. We don't see the end. All we see is where we're at right now. We can see the past. I would say thank him for Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a verse we hear quite a bit. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. But when did God make this promise to, to Israel? God told this to the Israelites as they were exiled in Babylon. They needed hope and they needed to trust the Lord, just like we do. It wasn't while they were in the midst of good times. In the midst of their struggle and in the midst of... Israel was supposed to be in the promised land. That's where the promises really were for them. And they were out of the promised land. It looked 
horrible, looked dire, looked terrible. But God says, I have plans for welfare and not for calamity, plans for future and a hope. In the midst of this situation you find yourself in, just the same as we do. And their appropriate response should have been, thank you. Thank you, God, because you are trustworthy and you are strong. You're strong enough to, say what you, to do what you say you'll do. You won't allow sin to go unpunished, even our sin. And that's why we're here. We recognize our sin needed to be punished, so here we are. And so thank you. And on a side note, something that the Lord just kind of showed me, um, and maybe some of you would go, well, yeah, this was obvious, but um, God will destroy sin. He's going to destroy all sin. And you either have the choice to hang on to your sin and be destroyed with it, or you can allow your sin to be taken by Jesus. Those are really the two options. Do you want to hang on to your sin and, and go down with it and be destroyed? Or do you want to let Jesus take it and be saved? That's just bonus material. Um, Turn over to Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is, uh, is the story of Abraham, who's been waiting for... God promised him long ago that he was going to make a great nation out of him, and he waited a really long time to ever have the son who God said was going to be the heir. And now in Genesis 22, we start reading in verse 1, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. It's pretty clear. It's not a, it's not a question of um, take him and something bad may happen to him. It's pretty clear what the, what the intent was. God was, was very clear. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and split wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. He took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took on his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And you can finish reading the story if you want, but we know that Abraham was, had the knife Boy's over him. He ties him up. He puts him on the wood. He's got the whole thing ready. He's got the wood. He's got the fire. He's got his son. And he's got the knife ready to go. And God says, wait. Now I know. Now I know you won't hold back your son. What does it look like? What did it look like when Abraham got that directive from God? What did it look like for him to walk up the hill with Isaac and be able to say, I trust you, Lord. Thank you. Really? Thank you? This is, the, this is the son who God promised was the heir. 
And you want me to say thank you as I go up and I've got a knife poised over him to kill him? If Abraham believed God's promises, and he clearly did, what happened? What happens when he's about to kill his only heir? Did he believe God was powerful enough to raise Isaac? What did he believe about God? I believe he believed his promises, and he believed God was powerful enough to do whatever he chose to do. He had no doubt in the promises, and he had no doubt that God could do whatever he needed to do to make his promise come true. God was powerful enough. He believed that. So Abraham could say, thank you, because I believe in your promises, and I believe in your power, and I trust in your perfect plan that I don't even understand. And he could say all that in faith. But when we can't see the outcome, we tend to hold back. Abraham didn't hold back. He went all in. He went all in. But we tend to question and look for for other options, right? We tend to go, this can't really be right. Abraham clearly heard from the Lord. And sometimes maybe that's the problem is we don't really know what it looks like to, to hear the Lord. And sometimes we run away. Which brings me to David. What did, what did, it, what did trust look like for David facing Goliath? Um, you can turn over to 1 Samuel 17. David saw the outcome through God's eyes, not through his own eyes of flesh. First Samuel 17, 45. Again, we won't read through all of the whole thing. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistine this day, the Philistines of this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into, into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David ran toward it. He ran right into it. Why? Because David saw the outcome. He believed in what the outcome was. He believed... He knew who God was. He knew and he trusted God. He lived out Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. He lived that out in that moment. So how did he have the assurance of that hope and conviction? Because he knew God. He knew his character and he knew his promises. Therefore, he could say, Thank you, Lord, that your promises to Israel are sure. And you can defeat giants with just a thought. Thank you that you can use even a teenage boy like myself to, be, to, be, to defeat um, what grown-up, full-grown warrior men are afraid to even go close to. I can go as a teenage boy with nothing but some rocks and a sling. You don't do that unless you know who God is, Right? Um, since we're in 1 Samuel, go back a couple of chapters. Go back to chapter 14. 
What did it look like for Jonathan and his armor bearer? First Samuel fourteen six. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. His armor bearer said to him, Do all, do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself, uh, turn, uh, do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself, and here I am with you according to your desire. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then, he, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hands, and this shall be the sign to us. When both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will tell you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet with his armor bearer behind him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer uh, put some of them to death after him. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men without, within about half a furrow in an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and, along all, and among all the people. Even the garrison and the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked so that it became a great trembling. What did Jonathan know about the Lord? He knew that God can save by many or by few. It didn't really matter. Uh, in Sunday school, we've been talking about um, the fall of Nineveh. Everybody's familiar with Jonah, and, and, and Nineveh gets saved in, in Jonah, but then in Nahum, it's the prediction of, of uh, its destruction. And God went out and defeated, what it was, 185,000 or something like that overnight. And the Israelites never left Jerusalem. God can do by many or by few or by none. So Jonathan knew that, he, that God was the one to give victory and to bring defeat. If God wants to deliver through two men, great, he can do it. And he knew that God was for Israel and was powerful to do this because he knew God's promises to Israel and his attributes. He could say, thank you. And what about Job? In the midst of all his calamity, he says, essentially, though God slay me, still I lost it. Still I will trust him. I was going to turn there, but we're going to get too much turning if I keep going. But in the midst of all that's gone on in Job's life, he says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. I did write it down. <laughs> um, it's amazing. What did trust look like for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was in agony. He was sweating blood. And he says, Lord, Father, if there's a way, if there's another way to do this, let's find another way, if it's possible. But if not, thy will be done. So he had, he had to have complete faith in the Father and he maybe even had to be reminded that this was the only way. From, from the beginning of time, from the time that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are talking about, let's create an earth and let's create human beings on it, they knew that we were going to turn. They knew we were going to turn to sin, that we were going to want to be our own gods. 
So he knew that this was the only way, but he had to be reminded. But ultimately, he trusted the Father. Because in his humanity on earth, he's looking forward to what's about to happen, and it's not something he's really looking forward to. But in the end, I believe he must have said something like this. Thank you, Father, that you are going to work redemption for the world through my death and resurrection. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, that you are going to do this. And thank you, because I know there's no other way. And I trust you. If there was another way, you would have found it. You see... All of our responses to him should be thank you. But in order to thank him, we need to know him. And we need to know what he's promised us. We need to know his character so that we know what he's like. We also need to know his history so that we can know he is trustworthy. So when we read through the Bible, and I mean all of it, okay? Not just the parts you like, not just the testament you like, whether it's the old or the new, or whatever, but when we read through all of it, wherever it is you're reading, we learn a a lot about God. We get this amazing picture of who God is. And when we see God as he actually is, then we we find out that he's absolutely trustworthy in every situation. In every situation, he's trustworthy. And we see that throughout the Bible. And we also learn about his promises and what, what are his promises and, and what are not his promises. Because we have a lot of false ideas about what his promises are. There are things we think are his promises, like God helps those who help themselves and those kind of things that are clearly not in the Bible. But the more you read it, the more you figure out, oh, that's really what that says. Or I read through the whole thing, I never saw that. So whatever that was I thought was true isn't really true. As we read through his word, we discover his attributes and we discover how we can trust him to act according to his character, always, without exception. He never deviates from his character. He never makes an exception. And there's no place you will ever find yourself that you can't say to him, thank you, Lord, because you have, done, you have everything under control. Do you want to know what God's will is for you? Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Everybody wants to know what the will of God is. It's pretty simple. First Thessalonians 5, start, we'll start in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's pretty simple. What's God's will for you? Give thanks in everything. And also, turn over a few more pages back the other way to Ephesians chapter 5.
Ephesians 5.18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Looks like being thankful. Looks like trusting Him, being thankful. So how can we give thanks in all things? Because we know whom we have believed. And we're persuaded that he is able to keep us and to sustain us in any situation. I would have kept going with that line in the hymn, but I, I don't know that I could necessarily um, explain all that perfectly. Um, so what or who is your hope in? What's your trust in? 11, uh, Hebrews 11.6 says that we cannot please God without having faith. That he exists and he, that he rewards those who seek him. And this doesn't necessarily mean physical rewards or monetary rewards. The greatest reward is his presence in us. Lost my place. I'm getting there. The greatest reward is his presence in us, which gives us confidence to say, I trust you. Thank you for whatever you're going to do because it is good. It will be good because you are the one in control. The language of trust is thank you. The evidence of trust and faith is in our actions. Now, that's a whole different sermon, so we're not going into that today. But the evidence is also in our attitude. When you can honestly say thank you, at that point, you'll know peace. The peace that passes understanding. Peace that makes people scratch their heads and go, that doesn't make any sense at all. Right. It's exactly correct. Unless you know who it is that you're leaning on, who it is that's in control. So if you say thank you, but then you go ahead and make the mashed potatoes because you weren't really sure it was going to come through, did you really trust? And granted, when it comes to mashed potatoes, some, sometimes you know that you've got to go ahead and make the mashed potatoes if you want to have mashed potatoes at dinner. But when, when it comes to God and we say, I trust you, and then we get, we get ahead of him, did we really trust him? Thank him in all things. Walk by faith, not by sight. So I would just encourage you to change the tradition at your Thanksgiving table. Don't ask what people are thankful for in the past. You can ask them that as well. But ask, what do you trust God for today? What are you thankful for that he's, going, that he's doing through you, that he's doing in you? That he's, what confidence do you have in him that you can say thank you for today and for the future? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you because you are worthy of all of our praise, all of our thanks. You are so good, um, more than we can ever understand. Lord, I pray that we would that our trust would be completely in you as we walk through our days, as we come up against difficulties, or as we um, are living in ease. That we would remember 
to praise you, to thank you uh, for the things you're doing, for the things you have done, and for the things you're going to do. Lord, I pray that we would be in your word, that we would know who you are, we would know what your promises are, we would know what your character is, so that we can walk in confidence throughout our days, whatever those days may bring. They may be good days, they may be bad days, according to our understanding. But Lord, you know all things, and you are working out good things for your people, and you have a good plan. So we praise you and thank you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.